Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted Tuesdays in the offseason and twice during the regular season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle, and then give you the latest USC football news. Let's first meet Tuesday's panelists, a WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, yay or nay, and Sunday takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked on USC. That's Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, recruiting guru, and a graduate of USC, Eric McKinney. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays the obvious and not so obvious, IMHO Sunday, and is an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Huddle. I'm Greg Katz. Before we kick off this Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle, here's the latest USC football news. Wednesday marks the opening of the February's National Letter of Intent signing window for the Trojans recruiting class of 2023. More on this topic, along with some other predictions momentarily. On Saturday, the number one overall recruit for the recruiting class of 2024, quarterback Dylan Riola of Chandler, Arizona, and his family spent Saturday at USC. And more on this recruiting item later in the huddle. Trojans Heisman winning quarterback Caleb Williams will be the honorary green flag waiver for NASCAR's Bud Light Clash. First race of its 75th anniversary be held inside the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum next Sunday, February 5th. Former Trojans linebacker Tuavisi Nomura has announced his transfer de destination. He'll be a Fresno State Bulldog in 2023. And the Senior Bowl will be played on Saturday morning with two potential USC NFL draft picks. Guard Andrew Voorhees and corner Makai Blackman expected to play. The game will be televised on the NFL Network at 11.30 p.m. in the Pacific time zone. Friends, we are SC's Inside the Trojan Huddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership. And we encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the red subscriber button and also the like button. It's greatly valued and it's free. And a reminder, WeRSC.com is offering a subscription special. You can get all the WeRSC premium content for just $29.99 up to August 31st, 2023, or $9.99 per month. All right, we kick off the first half of Inside the Trojan Huddle with a look at Wednesday's February High School Letter of Intent Signing Day. Heading into Wednesday, the Trojans have already signed 19 freshmen, 10 of whom have already enrolled in the spring semester. One player, wide receiver Jacoby Lane from Arizona, is considered a hard commit. In addition, the Trojans also have 12 players committed through the transfer portal. Trojans are currently ranked number five in the national transfer portal rankings. Currently, the Trojans recruiting class uh, is ranked 14th nationally and number two in the Pac-12 behind Oregon. Combined with currently high school and portal transfers in this recruiting cycle, the Trojans are ranked number eight in the country. So let's begin, panel. What do you expect to see uh, for the Trojans on siding day Wednesday? Our leadoff hitter, as always, Mark Culkin. What are we going to expect to see? It's going to be a short day. It's going to be quick. It's going to be fast. Um, I, 
I think Roderick Pleasant is announcing it, Eric, correct if I'm wrong, 1030 in the morning on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So that's my competence pick out of the, I think, four guys that they're, they're waiting to, to get a signature from. Uh, Deuce Robinson, I don't know, now you're getting word that he might delay his announcement. Uh, he's the highest rated of everybody who's, you know, on USC's draft board. Jacoby Lane, you know, I'm not sure why he hasn't signed his letter of intent yet. Uh, he could have done that back in December with the early signing period. Um, again, I'm not real competent there. And then you get Warren Roberson, who was, who was committed to TCU. And he's still kind of out there making his decisions. I think he tweeted that today, decisions to be made. So, I, you know, I, I'm not going to change what I've been saying from the last couple of weeks. I think it's going to be a very short, sweet signing day on Wednesday. Uh, USC will get Roderick Pleasant. After that, it's going to be a, it'll be a cherry on top, I guess. There's, remember, USC's already over their scholarship limit. And they anticipate to use the transfer portal even more once spring camp is over. So I'm not sure as far as the needs in this, in this small group, where they really, you know, fit into the calculus. I know Roderick Pleasant's a huge need, big get. They need more speed. But other than that, I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but it's, it's really not a whole lot to look forward to on, on Wednesday. Hi, Eric. What what's uh, your take on what's going to happen Wednesday? Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be fairly quiet because this signing day is fairly quiet nationally now. I mean the, there are some big fish still out there, right? Nicholas Harbor is still out there. Deuce Robinson, the, the Mark talked about, is still out there, a big time tight end. Jaden Rashada is is still out there. These guys don't have to announce on Wednesday. Though those type of players, they can wait. They don't have to sign anything. I'm still shocked that big time recruits sign anything any kind of nli with with schools um to lock themselves in based on kind of what we've seen and, and with guys wanting to to go other places um so yeah i, I think the rashada news is going to just what has happened there because typically fans don't turn in to signing day or, or sorry, the recruiting process for the entire year, like a lot of people that, that come to our site and a lot of people watching this and, and us certainly that, that follow recruiting. So the Rashada news, when kind of the casual college football fan hears about it when signing day pops up, I, I think there's going to be a ton of talk about that. As far as USC is concerned, yeah, it's, it's Deuce Robinson, right? What he does sort of shapes the feeling about that. Roger Pleasant, will get lost in the shuffle of that shouldn't because again he's a big time local kid for football and for track bring speed to your program which you absolutely need if you're USC at every position in every class so you don't want his potential announcement and signing to get overshadowed but uh, certainly because Deuce Robinson has been the guy that everyone has talked about for so long attention on guys like that when it comes to signing day will be huge but again if you're usc look who's already here right look who's already on campus look who's already signed and again that gets lost a little bit in the shuffle based on you know how well did you do just on signing day so i, I think we've already set this is a great class this, this is an, an excellent class for usc they got bigger they got faster the offensive linemen that have come in 
what they did on the defensive line at Russian, the linebacker attack at Curtis coming across and already on campus, the skill guys, the quarterback, I mean, they, they hit everything. This is kind of about uh, a cherry on top, I guess, if you get who you want to get and then a, a chance to, to kind of see how well do you stack up against a, a national power in Georgia when you're going after Deuce Robinson. And I don't think if USC doesn't get him, you crush Lincoln Riley. It's not like he picks some random school nowhere. He's going to Georgia, which what they've done on the field, what they've done at his position um, is telling it. And I know we'll kind of get in into that later, but again, it, it's turned the early signing period and the transfer portal have turned this signing day into, I don't know, the fifth biggest day in, in recruiting now, what used to be, you know, what you look forward to all year uh, is, is kind of just a day now. Yeah, I think, uh, I think both of you hit the nail on the head on this. Um, I, I too, am looking at uh, particularly what Deuce Robinson is going to do. And, and a reminder, and I think Eric, you, you make an excellent point. Uh, players don't have to sign on Wednesday. It's just the ultimate uh, focus at the moment. But Deuce Robinson could wait a long time before he signs. We we saw that uh, before with uh, players that uh, SC was waiting on. Uh, but I think the one thing that I will say, uh, then we'll make some uh, quick predictions uh, on this, is uh, I did some... Uh, I guess you could say uh, investigative work on Deuce Robinson to see what his background was, because sometimes when a player says he's not going to sign or he's, he doesn't know, you assume that what, what about his parents? What are they, their involvement? But it's really amazing. I saw an interview with uh, Dominic Robinson, uh, his father, who went to Diamond Bar High School uh, locally in Southern California. And he played at Florida State football and baseball. And he also coached college football as a defensive coordinator. And uh, in hearing him talk, this was not some whack job uh, father who doesn't know what's going on because he does. And he laid it all out, I thought, uh, just, just well done. And it kind of let me know that uh, this guy is uh, when Deuce Robinson makes a decision. Now, the father says the decision will be his son's decision, but they're going to lay it out. And uh, I, I think it will be uh, kind of fascinating. The, the one thing that I think uh, makes it difficult for uh, Deuce Robinson is uh, I can't speak for both you guys, but I'll speak for myself. Uh, I don't think that the tight end was used in a way uh, that Georgia uses their tight ends. And you can all crucify me for that one if you wish, but there is uh, some definite difference in evidence between tight ends. Now, maybe Lincoln Riley says, I haven't the type of tight end like Deuce Robinson. So therefore I don't throw to the tight ends, whatever the case may be, but that's something I'm sure that uh, Lincoln Riley is well aware of has probably been selling Deuce Robinson on so let's let's go to the to the next part here. I think Mark pretty much hit the nail on the head for where he thinks these players are going to go or not go. But just for the record, again, Mark uh, uh, Roderick Pleasant, you believe it's going to be USC, correct? Yeah, yeah, I feel pretty confident there. You know, based um, on you know what 
what Scott Schrader's been able to give us lately um, in, in his updates, and not just from the Poly Bowl, but you know, also in his Q and A's. Uh, as far as Juice Robinson, you know, baseball might be his his number one love. I, I'm not sure if if he loves football or baseball. He's he's one of those guys who wants to be a dual sport athlete. He, you know, that's kind of high on his priority list. And you know, if he is waiting around to see, you know, where he would be drafted in the upcoming baseball draft this summer, um, you know, like I said, he might not be announcing on Wednesday. If he's going to be, uh, if he's going to be getting paid, uh, that's going to change. It's going to change everything. And as Eric alluded to, you know, you don't use. I'm not even sure he's a tight end. He might just be a big wide receiver, and that would be great because you know USC's had a couple of those in the recent past that have done really well. Michael Pittman, Drake London, they're both in the NFL. So where Georgia can say, "Hey, look, we know how to use the tight end." USC can always say, hey, look, we know how to use a big wide receiver. Look what they're doing right now. And then Warren Roberson, again, this is this really comes down to, is he going to feel comfortable leaving the state of Texas? He took a visit to Austin. I think that tells me that he's not ready to cut that umbilical cord yet. So uh, he had a chance to commit to USC once before. He decommitted from TCU. Uh, this would be, for me, it would be as simple as, doing something between then and now where he's saying, I'm going to be a USC Trojan. And then um, Jacoby Lane, I, there's just some other issues there that I, I think he's probably going to go to ASU. So just to reaffirm what I said in the opening statement, I think he's going to stay home. Okay. Uh, Eric, how do you see the uh, three plus one, one being Jacoby Lane? Uh, tell us what you think about Pleasant, Robertson, uh, Deuce Robinson and uh, maybe Jacoby Lane since it was brought up. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think Lane signs with USC. I think USC gets Roger Pleasant. I think you know Warren Robertson took a visit to Texas right before signing day when the home school gets that kind of kind of visit and, and the momentum is swinging that way. Um, I, I'm going to go with them. Although I will say, not specifically about Warren Robertson, but just about recruiting in general right now. I mean, it, we kind of got used to every once in a while, there would be that, oh my gosh, what happened late in the game? And all of a sudden this kid's going somewhere else. That I, I expect that almost constantly going forward now, where it's just, you think you know what's going on, you think you know what's going on. And those those last minute phone calls or somebody comes in, somebody steps forward with, NIL, I mean, we've talked about that, what that actually means now uh, when it comes to recruiting. So again, the idea of like, oh, a coach did a really great job recruiting this guy all the way through and, and signed him, that kind of talk sort of makes me laugh now when you can just have one phone call with some guy the guy's never met before and all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to that school. Um, anyway, not, not specifically about Warren Roberson, but um, I, I think Texas for him. And then for Deuce, I'm I'm gonna say Georgia. I'm gonna say the lure of winning back-to-back -back national championships, knowing that that groundwork is set and he can go be used um, like those tight ends have been used there. Because again, Georgia has a couple really good tight ends, but they're different. Brock Bowers, he carries the ball. He plays some wide receiver. He does all this stuff, and and they kind of are able to do that. I totally agree with you, Mark. 
the idea that USC could pitch him on, hey, just come play wide receiver for us. Come play X. Come be that big receiver. Uh, I, I think that that is probably maybe in, what would be an enticing pitch. And there's a reason that USC is stuck around in this the whole time. And, and there's a clear affinity from Deuce Robinson for USC, for Lincoln Riley. Again, I, I'm going to say Georgia because I don't want to get USC fans' hopes up and then have them come yelling at us that, hey, you said he was coming here. But, but man, I do not want to bet against Lincoln Riley when it comes to an offensive skill player. So I, I can I, – I, it would – again, it, it, it's cheating, right? I would not be surprised if either way. Um, so, again, I, I'm going to say – Georgia and we'll be very happy to be wrong if it ends up at USC. Cause I, I think he is big time. Um, this is going back to the opening two years ago when he was a year younger than everybody else. And he and, and T-Mac at Arizona now who we saw what he did as a true freshman there, the two of them, I think were, were maybe the best skill guys at that event. And, and Deuce was a year younger than everybody. So uh, I, I think he could be a big time guy. One more thing that might help USC is when you look at, at, at Georgia's recruiting class, it's kind of tight and heavy right now. Does he want to be that third, third wheel? Well, I would say it depends on whether he thinks he's the third wheel. <laughs> you know, if, if he thinks he's better than the other two guys that they have, uh, then it, it's really uh, becomes a, a moot point. Um, I'll give you my my quick synopsis. I think Pleasant, Roderick Pleasant, will be a USC Trojan. Just seeing his camaraderie, camaraderie at the uh, Polynesian Bowl on the videos and his comments and things, I, I think that Zach Branch has got has done a hell of a recruiting job on him. And uh, just seeing these guys, uh, their nonverbal signs, even even watching the game, you could tell that they're uh, they really, really get along. I think uh, Warren Robertson will end up at Texas. Uh, he is, from a quote that I was reading, he says, uh, LA is a long way away. Anytime I see LA is a long way away, that, that's a big red flag to me. Uh, I think Deuce Robinson, I think baseball plays a big uh, thing in this. Uh, I was listening to, uh, again, uh, Deuce Robinson's dad, Dominic, and he was saying that he grew up in L.A. Of course, we talked about he went to Diamond Bar High, but he used to always go to Dodger games at Dodger Stadium. And he said when his son, prior to going to the Polynesian Bowl, had that workout at Dodger Stadium, his dad says that uh, for him personally, uh, it was like I've been a lot of places that I thought, oh, that's nice. That's nice. But he said to see my son working out at Dodger Stadium, and it was like, I can't believe my son's working out at the Dodger Stadium. And you can feel the intensity of baseball there. So I think this one isn't going to happen on a signing date. Uh, I will say this uh, for a glimmer of hope for SC people. I think if he was going to go to uh, Georgia, uh, he probably would sign on Wednesday. Uh, the fact that he isn't, or maybe isn't, uh, would tell me that SC uh, is in the conversation. Uh, remember, SC has a new baseball coach. <laughs> Excuse me. And we don't know how that's going to play into it. But I think there's a lot more uh, moving parts to this one. I think uh, Jacoby uh, Lane will sign with USC. Uh, I think that uh, he's going to see himself as that big receiver. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's some 
what did I read? Some I's, dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's need to happen with him. Uh, that uh, it won't shock me if he signs with USC. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so that that's my way of looking at things. Let's move on. Uh, this past Saturday, the number one overall national prospect for the class of 2024, quarterback uh, Dylan Riola from Chandler High in Chandler, Arizona, visited USC. Uh, On3.com's Chad Simmons reports that Riola, who had earlier decommitted from Ohio State, had a fantastic USC visit with his entire family. Dad, mom, supposedly his mom was just blown away by the whole thing. And little brother were all there. Uh, Dylan Riola was effusive. I mean, he was just head over heels with his praise for USC. Uh, he told Chad Simmons about his time, and he said, quote, this is uh, Riola speaking. I feel like our relationship, just in those five hours, he's talking about Lincoln Riley, shot through the roof, and we clicked even more. I love the USC program, and I love the Trojans. I actually had trouble sleeping last night because I was so excited from the visit. So panel, given that USC recruited arguably the number one quarterback for the class of 2023 in Malachi Nelson, who's now enrolled at USC, how does Lincoln Riley sell Riola on becoming a Trojan with Malachi Nelson in the fold? And what do you make of Dylan Riola's emotional comments following Saturday's unofficial family visit, Mark Culkin? Well, you, you just continue being Lincoln Riley and say, look, I'm, I have a really good track record of producing good quarterbacks. Uh, if they don't win an award, they might even, you know, end up performing in a Super Bowl now. So uh, it's an easy sell. And one of the things that Dylan spoke about was Lincoln only recruits one quarterback per class that I guess he's going to put all of his eggs into the basket with. So that's a, that's a selling point. Now, the fact that mom is sold, it's, it's just a matter of, does Dylan want to uh, come in and compete one year behind Malachi Nelson? If I'm Dylan, I'm thinking, yeah. I'm, if you think you're the best, you want to compete against the best, right? That's what it's all about. That's part of the selling process with Lincoln. It's, this is great. The, as far as the emotional response, uh, he, he saw, you know, he, He's, he's spending time with Lincoln during the NFL playoffs. He's watching the quarterback play. Uh, you, you, you get to watch film of Caleb Williams, and you just get to say, look, I can do this for you too. Look at the receivers we have coming in. Look at the young receivers we have coming in. Would you like to throw to Zachariah Branch for a couple of years? It's not a hard sell. And it's, it's, it's easy for these young men at his age to get emotional and be excited. Now, let's see how he feels, you know, a week from now. I'm sure he's still going to be excited about wanting to come to USC. I just don't know if it's going to have that same visceral feeling to it. Eric, what's your perspective on uh, on this chain of events? Yeah, I mean, the, the comments coming out of it are, are sort of no-duh things for me. Like, this USC staff puts on a great visit, and when they, when they know – that a guy like that is coming, number one player, number one quarterback in, in his class, they're going to put together a, an amazing visit. And, it, and it's clear that like that, that he's Riley's guy. And, and Mark talked about that. In each class, Riley has 
he, he has one guy and until he's absolutely forced to move on to another quarterback, he goes all out after that guy. Dylan, Dylan Rayola is that guy. You, you mentioned Malachi Nelson, maybe arguably the number one quarterback in the 2023 class. Dylan Rayola is number one, inarguably, in the 2024 class. And, and that's a good group of quarterbacks already that we've seen in 2024. D Dylan's the guy there. And so I, I think that you go after the number one guy at a, at a position that is very important to you if you're Lincoln Riley, no matter what. And, and so it's not a surprise to me that he's chasing him. It's not a surprise to me that Dylan came out on a visit, um, you know, regardless of kind of what weekend it is. Uh, and it's not a surprise to me that, that he loved his time here. I mean, like, if, like what, what, what can't he point to for a quarterback to show like, Hey, you might enjoy playing here and, and playing for me. Right. It, the, the offense that he brings the history of quarterbacks at USC. I mean, it, it's gotten to a point now with USC quarterbacks and, and taking nothing away from what Caleb Williams did. But if you do what he did at USC, you win the Heisman Trophy. If you do what Caleb did maybe somewhere else, maybe you're Drake May at North Carolina or one of these other quarterbacks where, you know, Max Duggan at TCU, where it's like, hey, you had a great season, a great season, but you don't have the hardware at the end of it. So that that's another selling point, I think, if you're USC. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't expect him to come off that visit and 10 minutes later commit and wrap things up and, and that. Like, he's already made a commitment. He's had to back away from that. He's going to make sure that he is done, done, I think, before he makes another one. But you stay in the game with a visit like this. You try to get him back on campus as often as possible. You try to keep sort of touching bases with that and, and you keep recruiting as far as, oh, you know, Malachi Nelson's there. So how do you sell him on it? How many quarterback situations have there been nationally where it looks like, okay, here's the pecking order. This is how this, this is going to go. And six months later, that blows up and you have no idea who's going to be there because somebody left or somebody got hurt or however that worked out. And so I think if you're really, you can look at it where, am I going to play as a true freshman at, you know, one of the other schools at Nebraska, at Georgia, at Oregon, is that potentially more valuable than rolling the dice, spending my freshman year, under Lincoln Riley's coaching, even if I'm not starting. And then if I feel like, Hey, this isn't going to work, you pop out and now you have that year and you're going to be the most coveted guy in the transfer portal. And, and you end up wherever you want again. And that that's from a USC perspective, right? Like, Hey, why don't you do that? Um, so again, I, I think there's that, that transfer portal makes it kind of a selling point where you can land somewhere with, okay, this is good for me now. And then I still have options, you know, down the road with, with how things work out. Let's just use it from the Oklahoma perspective, Spencer Rattler to Caleb Williams. You might, you know, Lincoln Riley setting up the same scenario starting next year. And he could say he's, he's made the right decision on a lot of quarterbacks when it, when it comes time to who do I pick? Who do I go after? Who do I bring in as a transfer? All of that stuff. Like, again, you, you talk about what can he point to? He can kind of say, hey, I've got sort of the golden finger here. If I, if I point it at you, that means you're going to do pretty well. Oh, and Miller Moss is back here waving his hand. It's like, hey, don't forget and, me. <laughs> Miller's, I mean, that, that's going to be a conversation for another day, right? The second right. that Caleb Williams announces that he's going to the draft, I, I think we've got a show about where, where's Miller Moss and, and how do we handle that?
Well, I will say a couple of things. Mark took the uh, wind out of part of my sails there because he's absolutely right. Uh, two words, Spencer Rattler. Uh, I think that uh, Dominic Riola has seen Malachi Nelson. I think that if you put him under a light, uh, interrogate him, he would say, I'm better than Malachi Nelson. Uh, and there is that precedent of uh, Lincoln Riley dealing with Spencer Rattler. Uh, but there is some things to also consider. Uh, one is that Dominic uh, Riola, his father, played at Nebraska. Uh, his father uh, went to the NFL, but he was a lineman. Uh, but Dominic's uh, uh, brother is, I think, the offensive line coach at Nebraska. And of course, that's, and uh, I think uh, Dylan has mentioned that, you know, he, he grew up in a Nebraska environment. Now, to counter that, obviously, SC is going to be in the same uh, conference, the Big Ten. Uh, but I think the mother being sold on it, whether he ends up at SC or not, is a big sign. It is a big sign. And I'll tell you, it, when you have a great visit like uh, Riola had, remember, it was an unofficial visit. It wasn't an official visit. So all the bells and whistles were not actually uh, displayed at the time. Uh, but that trip from uh, the Phoenix area to L.A. looks a little bit shorter when you've just had a great time. So that's also something that maybe will counterbalance the Nebraska uh, nepotism point of view. So with that, let's move on. It's halftime. Panel's recruiting dead period began uh, on Monday and will continue until March. What are your thoughts about the recruiting calendar, which includes the early December signing period. What would you change? What recommendations would you make to the recruiting uh, or portal transfer calendar for that matter to make recruiting a better and smoother process? Uh, we'll start off with Eric on this one. Uh, your thoughts on this? The, there's nothing that's going to fix it, right? There, there's only so many days in the year and kids have to be able to trip and coaches have to be able to sort of take a breath and you have to kind of fit everything in. So the, the one thing I'd say, and again, I, I'm going to lob this out knowing that I don't have to actually make the, the call on any of this. I, I would like it if high school kids had an opportunity to see how the portal shook out so that they had a better idea kind of where they were going and what they were doing. Now, the flip side of that is that coaches want to be able to add talent. You know, if they miss on a kid in high school, they want to go get a guy like they're they're going to want to be able to do that. But I, I think there's a lot of times where, um, yeah, you think, hey, I know I know what that depth chart's going to look like. I know what that room's going to look like. And then you go and then all of a sudden, two days later, hey, we just we landed three guys out of the portal. And and now, you know, it's it's a completely different look for you. So those two things and and if you want to go the other way i guess that's fine too but getting it getting the guys a, an understanding of sort of what your level looks like and then what this other level looks like and, and not making them sort of juggle uh simultaneously i think would be would be kind of an interesting thing but i i i do like all of the i like the transfer portal windows where you can't just leave sort of whenever and and you know blow things up uh, during the season or, or right before or things like that. Um, and I, and I like that they're letting guys transfer more. I think the one-time transfer 
is a good thing. I think that you, that the fact that you can do it again as a grad transfer is a good thing. And, and I think allowing that kind of movement, again, it makes it harder on the coaches. Um, it makes it harder on, I think, high school recruiting has really taken a hit. Junior college recruiting has been devastated by, by the transfer portal. Um, so again, if I, I, I haven't landed on, oh, here's easy ways for that. Um, just in terms of the, the recruiting calendar, I mean, I, I'd love to toss out at some point that you can carry, you know, 10, 15 scholarship guys on your team that you designate before the season. They're not going to play this year, but they're here on scholarship kind of as developmental to get guys, you know, out of these different levels. But as far as the, as far as the recruiting calendar, I, I don't think that they've sort of destroyed recruiting with all these different periods and stuff. Um, I would love to see that if the December early signing day is going to be now the big signing day, it sure feels like there's a lot of stuff going on at that time. You've got bowl practices. You've got, you know, again, we talked about the junior college signing day, not, not being big anymore, but you know, you've got the, the transfer portal kind of in full swing at that point. So finding a way to, to shine a spotlight, I think on signing day would be good, but I also don't think that delaying it, you know, is, is the absolute answer there because they all want to be done early. The players want to be done early. The coaches want to be done early. And, and if any, if there's any change, I could see them pushing to, to move it even farther forward. Interesting. Mark, what's your perspective? Yeah, I was listening to Eric and I was, I was thinking, like, I don't know how to fix this thing and what the answer is. So I, I think there's some areas. Here's what I would do, right? I'm, I'm the czar. I'm in charge. I'm going to make the early signing period the where everybody tunes in for the transfer portal. There's You have the transfer portal still going on after early signing period. Give it in its own special day. And that goes to Eric's point. So the high school recruits know what's going on. All right, these guys are done December 27th, whatever, the 31st. Pick a day. It doesn't matter. Let's just eliminate the February signing day and just make, give the high school kids back their day sometime in January. Make that the signing day. You have a little bit of a gap between the transfer portal guys. And now the high school guys can kind of figure out, all right, USC went real heavy where I thought, oh, they're going to come after me. I, I can't go there now. It's, it's, it's basically re, resetting the, uh, the signing days. You have one for the transfer portal. You have one for high school recruiting. And then after spring camp, you can still have that two-week window in May uh, to kind of get your free agency done and, and make sure your roster is, is set exactly the way you want it. I, to me, that's really the, the quick, easy fix. Otherwise, there's just too much going on. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to give another different viewpoint uh, to this. Um, I think they've done a relatively good job in adjusting the transfer portal and the calendar dates. I, I'm okay with that. I think they need to get rid of the early December period, not because it wasn't a good idea and a lot of players said, oh, I want to get it out of the way. But you know what? More and more, you're going to get coaches getting fired uh, in uh, during the season because that that is kind of uh, broken the tradition. 
you have play coaches that are going to take jobs at the end of November, and it's going to upset a lot of situations. So my feeling is, is, you know, what it's done is it's the December signing period has backed up everything to sophomores and juniors, all this uh, commitment stuff. Uh, you know, is it's it's really to me, uh, you just see so much more of it now, guys committing and then not committing. Um, I would like to see the elimination of the December signing period for those reasons. Um, and he'll probably think this is the stupidest idea you've ever heard of. But I say uh, leave the February uh, signing period uh, as the first, in other words, take the place of the early December signing period. So all the dust has been settled who's transferring out, all that sort of stuff. Coaching st stuff has been already settled. Players can have a clearer view of what's going on, but have a second signing period uh, at, the, uh, at the end of uh, April. And I'm saying this because player, high school players would get a better chance to see what's happening in the transfer portal. Uh, for those that were let's say, take Deuce Robinson's example, baseball. Uh, uh, do I think it's, uh, you know, going to happen? No, not, not at all. But it is, I think, for discussion that you have a late uh, April signing period. Um, I think what it'll do is it'll take players, let's say, in February. Uh, now, I know one of the big arguments is going to be, is going to be, we can't get players in for spring ball if they're signing, uh, let's say, in uh, February, because all the guys that are coming early are coming in December uh, for the most part. But maybe you move up the, the February signing period uh, earlier. But uh, it is food for thought. And I actually appreciate both of you guys giving a, a perspective on it that, uh, you know, different ideas. Sometimes some of these ideas are actually not too bad. So with that, let's uh, go to the second half. We kick off the second half edition of Inside the Huddle with the following panel. We've seen all the changes on and off the field since Lincoln Riley has taken over the USC program. Of all the changes and innovations, what, in your opinion, is the current state of USC football, Mark? It's in a good place. I mean, 11 and 3 sounds a hell of a lot better than 4 and 8, despite, you know, ending the season on two losses. So, look, everybody knows it feels like we're, we're kind of just, you know, regurgitating this every week. Everybody knows what the issue is. Got to get the defense fixed a little bit. And if you get it fixed a little bit, 11 wins probably turns into 12 wins. If you get it fixed a lot, you're, you're now seriously probably a, a, a prohibitive playoff favorite. So uh, until we see the defense improve, the state of the program is great. It is heading in the right direction. Recruiting is picking up. They're getting, you know, better players to come back to the program. Uh, everything you want USC to be, USC football to be, it's, it's getting there. If, you know, part of it's there, but they're heading in the right direction. Everybody wants to see the defense get better. So I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. That's where we're at. Eric, where are we at? Yeah, I, I mean, I, 
ultimately yes it's it's pointed in the right way and like the legs are churning really fast the defense right now based on last year right that you you don't like there's a lot of guys coming in and they're really making strides on that but i see it as like you know you've got like like you've got a, a hook around like the suspenders of the guy like running really fast and so the defense either keeps it there and you you kind of stay there and you score a bunch of points but you don't win every game or at least the, the big games against the really good teams or the defense lets your finger go and you shoot forward and yeah you're you're a, a final four team at the end of the season and, you, and you're in the playoff so that's kind of where i see it right now there's sort of this sense of holding your breath of like wh- what are we going to see defensively because offensively they're going to be good i mean they the, what they lost on the offensive line is significant going forward in terms of just talent and starts what they're bringing in is is very good probably great maybe maybe even better than that so again the holes there running back addition the wide receiver addition like off offensively i keep seeing clips of kind of caleb williams that people throw up on, on twitter this offseason you just you shake your head like you forget some of the stuff that he did how good he was uh and how good you certainly expect him to be again it's defense, but I think that the the fact that you're able to bring guys in, right, recruits and transfer portal guys who are talented and highly recruited and coveted by big time programs, it shows you sort of that 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 strength of the USC brand is absolutely there. And and Lincoln Riley knows what has to be done defensively, and and it's not going to be. Um, I would certainly guess right now, it's not going to be another year that looks exactly like uh, it was in, in 2022. I, I would bet whatever I needed to, that there's going to be steps forward on that side, on that side of the ball. But again, right now, that's kind of where I am. It's like, I, you, you know, a lot of things about the program, you feel good about where it's going, but you're not fully in a, yeah, absolute guarantee. They're a top four team uh in 2023 and and when Lincoln Riley talks about his program he wants to talk about it like it's a guaranteed playoff team that's kind of what he brings and and that the attitude that he has uh when they go on the field yeah I think that that's a solid point um I think that where the state of the football program is uh it was a little bit skewed uh even from my perspective those last two games uh, were Debbie Downers uh, in a big way. Uh, but the good news is I think we know what the problem was. And as Mark says, you know, we, we, we're, we, we pretty much know what the issue is and so does Lincoln Riley. So, you know, they're, they're going to be held accountable for that. But I think where they're at right now is pretty much where they'd like to be. But I think that there are things that need to be done. Uh, so let me just say, ask this to you. Uh, and it, this is not just focusing in on defense per se, but overall, uh, Mark, uh, what is the next step in the program that you would like to see? Uh, I'd love to see the Coliseum sold out on occasion. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see that enthusiasm around the program on game days. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more, I don't know how you, how we're going to make this happen, but I would like to see, well, I won't know. I'd like to see fans and family more involved with the practices. I know that's not going to happen, 
nevertheless, uh, the program needs to take that next step to keep the fans excited. Obviously, Caleb Williams is going to is, is an easy box to check with that. Uh, but until the fans see the defense getting better, you got to have, you know, Eric talked about the hook around the suspenders. You got to have a hook uh, around the fans. So it's, it's at that level. It's, it's there. I don't know what, what they can do. Uh, I don't know if raising ticket prices is the right answer, but I'd like to see it more fan friendly. I don't know. If, I didn't feel that. I get to the games really early on game day. And that's something that I'm always looking around, kind of saying, all right, what's going on? Are the fans having a good time? Are, are there places for the fans to hang out? Or is USC just making it more of a corporate type of feel? So I'd like to see the Coliseum sold out. Eric, what do you, what yeah, do, you need to go? That's a good one. I like that. Um, no, it's, it's defense. You told me I couldn't pick defense, so I'm not, I'm not oh, picking anything. Mark, Mark's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would say, uh, personally, sticking with recruiting. Um, I know that Lincoln Riley can recruit skilled players on the offensive side. We have not been convinced that they can do the job defensively when it comes to recruiting. They, they have gotten good players. I'll grant you that. Tackett Curtis and uh, Raylan Shelby. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be good players. But I'm, I'm still concerned about getting those really elite offense and defensive linemen. It still is a red flag to me until they get not just one. I don't want to see like a Thule, Thule Pelotu graduate and one guy slides in. They need more than just one for one. One leaves, one replaces them. They need, and I think they know this, uh, they need to get two or three every year because it's my trepidation, fear, if you will, that when they, are they gonna be ready to play in the Big 10? Uh, and when you say play in the Big 10, I mean, win the Big 10. And you can say, well, you know, are they really at the Ohio State level? Uh, are they still, you know, maybe the Michigan level, maybe uh, Penn State? There's only gonna be one, uh, you know, champion of the league. Now we know that the playoffs are going to come uh, in 2024. So that's going to change some of it. But I, I would like to see a recruiting step up in that area. I, it's not like they haven't tried. Uh, my understanding that they've just given out a slew of, of uh, scholarship offers to uh, defensive linemen. Uh, I don't want to see that every defensive lineman they're recruiting is an edge player. I'd like to see a true guy that is a nose guard or what have you. Uh, and as far as the attendance, the attendance will take care of itself. If, if they win, people are going to come. They're going to come next season because they want to see Caleb Williams. And you know what? They'll probably be undefeated, I would suspect, I would bet, uh, going into Notre Dame. If they can beat Notre Dame and then come back to the Coliseum for Utah, that could be the great, uh, to me, in my opinion, perspective, the great uh, next step as far as attendance goes. I, I don't know how much damage the last two games, if any, had played in the game, uh, because I think that when you take a step back and you say, well, you know what, they were four and eight the year before, and now they're 11 and three. Uh, okay, but it's how they became three. 
<laughs> is what I'm looking at. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that is. Now, this is a regurgitated type of question. I'm going to admit guilt in the third degree. But panel, much of the postseason and future season uh, specifics continues to revolve around the SC defense. In retrospect, why was the 2022 USC defense so much less effective in the second half of the season rather than the first half? And how did the Trojans prevent the 2022 defensive meltdown from happening again in 2023, Mark? I, I don't know. They panicked maybe a little bit. I'm not, you, you hate to say that they, they were outplayed or they were outcoached. You don't want to, you don't want to say that, but you know, the whole, the defense was predicated on getting the ball turnovers, being opportunistic. And it, it kind of showed up when they were trying to tackle and it, they were, it's almost like they were trying to tackle the ball more than they were trying to tackle the guy. And they just never made that adjustment in those games, obviously, against Utah and against Tulane. And it just kind of snowballed on them those last four and a half, five minutes of, that, of the Cotton Bowl. Sometimes, you know, the coaches, the, the players, it, you, you kind of sense that, all right, um, it's getting away from us. And I don't know if um, the leadership at the time took over when they needed it the most. And I don't know if they had that on defense. I'm just trying to look for a different answer than what we've been given for these last, since it's happened. <laughs> Eric, what's your, what's your thoughts? Why, why was there the big breakdown in the second half, in your opinion? Injuries and how, death. How, how do they stop it from happening again? Get better, get more good players. I mean, it, it, it was injuries in depth, right? Like that Utah game took a toll right in the middle of the season. We saw a ton of guys on both sides of the ball, missed time after that. Uh, Shane Lee had the, the thumb, wrist, hand thing. Eric Gentry was, was clearly not Eric Gentry from that point forward. Um, I, I'd assume just because it's football. Thule was not at 100% at the end of the year, anywhere close. And, and if he wasn't making big-time plays, the USC defense was was having trouble. So it's it's that they didn't – and I, I believe Lincoln Riley when he talks about that kind of in his, you know, postseason kind of state of the, the union thing, when he talked about, like, you, you need to be able to rely on talented young backups kind of throughout the year to, to pull some weight – and they didn't have a lot of them, or in some positions, they didn't go to the ones that they have, which again, that, that's kind of a, another discussion, but you're talking about what actually happened on the field. And that's what happened on the field is they asked a, a small subset of guys to do a lot of stuff and to play a lot of snaps, a lot of physical snaps, because um, they, they were on the field quite a bit. So I do think they got hurt injury-wise at a couple key spots. They did not have either did not have depth available or didn't go to the depth that they had at certain points. And then you look at the defensive line and it's just outside again, outside of Thule. And that's how the defensive coaches kind of talked all year. Well, outside of Thule, outside of Thule, like they didn't have a lot of give Makai Blackman had a, had a phenomenal season. Kalen Bullock made a bunch of plays, although he's a guy that, that kind of target on his back a little bit with, with some of the stuff 
um, at the end of the year. And those specific games, the Utah game, the Tulane game, for me, and the players didn't didn't back this up, and they were asked a, a little bit about it, and they all kind of said, no, no, no. But I, I still feel like once they saw Caleb Williams was less than 100% and less than 60%, less than 50%, it sure felt like defensive players or the defense as a whole said – hey, we need to win this game on every play. We need to make some game-changing play instead of just, that's a seven-yard pass, let's tackle him and, and you know play the next down. And, and to me, that felt like a big change. Alex Grinch talked about that, Lincoln Riley talked about that, when they sort of mentioned guys are doing stuff they're, they're not coached to do. And when that happens kind of in the middle of the play, you can't really coach that out of them as they're, as they're doing it you know, while it's happening. So I think a lot of stuff, sort of went in there. I think they sort of saw how people were talking about them. They saw the stats. They saw kind of what was going on and, and changed the mindset a little bit um, on how they attacked stuff. And when the turnovers weren't coming, when that when that is what you do well, and that's how you know you've won games, when they're not coming, you can press and, and you can try to do stuff outside of what you're taught. And, and so all of that stuff, again, we're talking about year one of a unbelievable rebuild for a USC defense in 2021 that was that was historically bad for USC so they they had a long way to go uh and that that's a long season when you get those two extra games at the end there um we'll be very interested to see kind of changes that are made and, and how they hit the ground running uh spring ball and then and certainly when the season comes around well, I think that uh, first and foremost, they've got to get better players uh, up front, uh, and they got to get a lot, a lot of them. Uh, I think also a big difference uh, was they were just playing better teams in the second half of the season that exposed some of their uh, weaker spots. It just, you know, they they got by UCLA, which was fantastic. They got by Notre Dame which in my opinion was even more fantastic. Uh, so you beat your rivals uh, and you outscored them. Uh, but then things kind of went off the rails uh, in the last two games. Um, I, I I was disappointed that, uh, that they had the meltdown in the championship game uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, I, I think that they uh, shouldn't have, had the mental breakdown or the enthusiasm breakdown because of Caleb. Uh, you know, I, I know this is maybe a bad comparison, but, you know, watching the NFL game on Sunday, uh, watching uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, uh, try to work through his high ankle sprain. Uh, it really seemed to fire up uh, Kansas City on defense. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's what I think I wanted to see with this defense and this has nothing to do with physicality it has everything to do with playing hard and doing what you're told so there's going to be more than just one specific reason but i can guarantee you uh that if there is somewhat of a repeat of what happens this year or next season then this season you're going to be bombarded with these same questions but i'm going to put this particular topic to bed for a while on this program, but I wanted to just have a reflection of it. All right, let's get to overtime viewer questions and panel answers. Um, 
Question one from Donnie in Villa Park, California. What game uh, next season do you see as the trap game? All right, guys, it's a free-for-all. Just jump in. What's going to be the trap game? Arizona. Arizona uh, at home before they go to Notre Dame. Uh, that's going to be a good offense coming in. And that's it. I mean, because there, there really aren't any. I mean, there's going to be so much attention on going to Colorado and then Arizona State. I, I Maybe it's at Arizona State as like coming off a bye and, and you're, you know, looking way ahead. But the Arizona one stands out to me, especially if it's on a, a you know, if it's a weird Friday night game. Although the home teams, I think, in the Pac-12 usually do really well um, on Friday night. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to pick at Cal and then the rest of the schedule is tough. It's, it's either tough or like clearly not trap games like at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I, I uh, saw there's a lot of sentiment for the Cal game, uh, but I don't know whether Cal can have enough offense to match USC. So therefore I, I fall back on the Arizona game because I think the Arizona game in LA, be a lot of LA players on that Arizona team, uh, some USC players on that Arizona team uh, in their roster next season. And they do have a, a, a terrific quarterback uh, in Delora. And so you never know what could happen uh, in that particular game. Mark, do you, have, do you have a trap game? Does anything come to mind to you that sticks out? Yeah, I, I actually think the Colorado game before the Arizona game could be a possible trap game. Just because of the way it could be hyped up, uh, it's not that I don't think USC would be prepared to play Colorado, but, you know, Colorado is going to be a member of the Pac-12 when USC isn't. You've got prime time coming in as, you know, the new marquee name head coach. Uh, I could see some shenanigans going on there that you, for some reason, just things don't happen to go USC's way that day. And Travis Hunter scores nine touchdowns. I mean, right. there's a lot of attention, right, on, on a couple of guys. Kermani McLean, a, a big-time five-star corner coming in. Shadur Sanders. Shadur Jackson versus Caleb Williams. But, it, but at this point, boy, unless I see, off, you know, offensive lineman after offensive lineman coming in, like that, that is a hole. That is a hole that he has got to dig out of at, at Colorado. There. Absolutely. I'm just trying to throw something in the conversation. Yeah. Yep. That's all. I don't think USC is going to lose this game. <laughs> All right. Question two from Corona Trojan fan in Vancouver, Washington. With Joyner and Peterson, those are the two freshman running backs coming in. And with Austin Jones returning, what can we expect from what Rayleigh Brown in 2023? <laughs> is he going to get any serious playing time at the running back position? Or is he going to be pretty much a specialty player that uh, HCLR head coach Lincoln Riley will use in particular matchup situations where RB can be put in space. And then a, a secondary comment. Sorry to see Travis leaving as I felt he would have been a great tutor for Ray Leak in terms of learning how to time the blocking in front of him to break through the first level, get in the secondary, perhaps Joyner and Peterson will have skills Ray Leak uh, can profit from to get more playing time. What, what do you guys think about uh, Ray Leak Brown? What What is your expectations of him uh, next next season? Uh, it's for me. It's you know it's kind of his make or break season. Obviously, he, he's a true freshman, 
so he'll be a sophomore. Hopefully, he won't be a fresh. Or he won't play like a freshman anymore. And it's just a matter of being more disciplined. You know, trusting that you know you can go north and south between a small little crack, and all of a sudden you can make it into a big hole. And to the to the viewer's question, this goes back to we always forget about our old toys when the new toys come in. Quentin Joyner and Amarian Peterson are freshmen. They haven't even practiced yet at USC. Rayleigh Brown was a pretty good recruit coming out of high school. Everybody in the country wanted him. He doesn't, he knows that he's not going to have Travis die taking reps away from him. I don't think he sees Austin Jones as his competition. It's a matter of Rayleigh Brown. It's not a matter of anybody else on the roster because what Ray Leak brings, what, what he has in his toolbox is different than I think anybody else on that roster. Yeah, he can be, I mean, the specialty player can, can he can still get 12 touches a game. I mean, he, he can still be kind of one of the, the team leaders in touches because Lincoln has shown he can kind of put him in a different, in a few different places and get him the ball he had a bunch of touches against Tulane. I think eight, six carries and, and two catches and a couple other where, where he could have um, could have gotten the ball. Marshawn Lloyd's going to come in. And and I, I think, again, having not seen him at USC yet or kind of how he fits in, I, I think he's your, your starting running back next year. The same way I felt as soon as they brought Travis Dye in that he'd be the starting running back. You love having Austin Jones there if he's your number one or number two I think that's fine and then Relik, I don't think you put him at number three I think he's just a running back and a wide receiver and but he's gonna play he's gonna he's gonna play a lot I mean that like we talked about the quarterbacks earlier when Lincoln Riley goes out and gets a guy with the skill position guy it's the same thing really was a guy that he wanted and, and it took a little while to kind of get his feet under him as a as a true freshman um I think, I think he has a big year as a sophomore. You know, I, I, I'm not sure what to make of Rayleigh Brown. Uh, I think part of his development was when to break outside and when to go right through that hole. Sometimes he, he took himself out of a play. Although I will, I will say that I do hold the SC brain trust uh, for not running in. There was no fly sweeps that I can recall with Rayleigh Brown, which I thought would be, you know, the perfect type of uh, uh, big plays. So maybe he'll get that. But I am going to agree with um, Eric on this. I think the guy to look out for is Marshawn Lloyd. I've, I've watched video of this guy over and over and over again. And he he hurdles tacklers. He can change directions. And he's very physical and uh and i wouldn't discount austin jones and I, I i will say i agree with mark on this one joiner and peterson uh will be fun to watch in the future but i don't think that it's going to happen for them next season uh but i i do think that uh the presence of lloyd is going to put a lot a lot of pressure on both austin jones and rayleigh brown because to me if i'm lincoln riley i only have uh Caleb Williams for the next season it's got to be we're going for the gusto on this one we if we're going to make the playoffs this is the year that we got to do it um 
Okay, uh, this next one is from Big Trojan in Inglewood. Uh, who is your USC defensive MVP next season? That's question one. Question two, any chance that a guy like Stanley T can move back to linebacker with the influx of transfers along the D-line? All right, contributors, what say you? Well, question two first. No, Stanley's not going to move back to, to linebacker. Um, and then for the MVP, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Mason Cobb. I think you at, at that position, that guy's gonna pile up tackles. And I think at this point, especially, I mean, right, the USC defensive MVP, the way the way we're looking at it, I think the idea of a guy making solid tackle after solid tackle after solid tackle is gonna stand out so much that that that'll be um, kind of what puts him in there. But I also think probably who ends up having the most sacks um, will be in there too. And and honestly, looking at the defensive line right now, I, I don't know if I feel comfortable throwing a throwing a guess out there um, on who that might be. Yeah, I, I want to see what kind of adjustments are made this spring. You know, the linebackers as we know them, are they going to be playing the same positions they played last year? Are they going to be there are going to be a little tweaks here and there. Are they going to be playing different positions? It, I, I can't give you an MVP. Um, I'm excited about the, the cornerback coming over from Arizona. I loved how he played against USC. So, you know, if you can have him, and I'm assuming maybe Damani Jackson's opposite of him, that's a unique cornerback tandem. And that could make the defensive line's job better, easier knowing that you have a couple of cover corners out there, I guess. And yeah, I agree with Eric. You're not going to ask a guy who came in as a linebacker, bulked up to become a guy, you know, playing over the ball, say, all right, now let's move you back to the second level. Maybe you slide him out to defensive tackle, but no, he's not going to, he's not going to play linebacker. It's not fair. You don't do that to somebody. Well, if I'm going to pick an MVP and, and be put on the spot here, I'm joining the uh, Eric McKinney fan club for uh, Mason Cobb because he is a proven commodity from Oklahoma State. He's got the credentials. He's got the physicality. And it, it just seems right. I think the big question to me uh, is what they're actually going to do with Eric Gentry. Uh, I'm not convinced that they won't maybe play him if they bulk him up, that he could be an edge rusher. Uh, you know, because he could really come off the edge in a in a in a real hurry, uh, and he has the quickness to uh, to to maybe control at some level uh, a scrambling mobile quarterback like they have in the Pac-12. Uh, because I think that Tackett Curtis is really gonna each week is gonna put more pressure as he gains experience to grab one of the starting spots. I don't think it'll be uh, uh, Mason Cobb's spot, but. I think the the ace in the hole to me is 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 Gentry, and I don't expect that uh, Stanley T is going to be doing any moving uh, anytime soon. All right, question four. The, hold on, Greg. But before you jump, the Gentry thing is fascinating to me because when he did come on a blitz, he was good. He was really good at getting to the quarterback. He seems like that guy again. Instead of. Corey Foreman dropping into coverage or that kind of thing. He seems like the guy that that maybe you could put 
on a tight end out there. Now the issue is, do you want him one-on-one against an offensive tackle on just a power run play that's going out there? That may be, you know, not, not something you're looking for, but can you scheme around that? But yeah, I, I think he's a guy that you can do a lot with. The coaches clearly love him, right, in the passing lane, over the middle of the field, kind of making it difficult on quarterbacks in that regard. But you talk, you asked about why did the defense struggle they didn't have all these options that maybe maybe you feel better about next year to be able to move guys around and, and try some things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, question four from SC, the one in the OC. Which incoming transfers do you expect to be starters in the fall? Which incoming freshmen will have the biggest impact on the team this fall? I'll jump in on this one uh, because it's already been mentioned. I think that um, Mason Cobb, will have a major uh, effect on uh, defense. I think that uh, Singer coming over from Arizona uh, will have a major effect on the offense at some level. And as far as freshmen having the biggest impact on the team, I still have all my marbles, so to speak, on Tackett Curtis. I think he's that good. Uh, I think he's going to be the one uh, uh, on defense. And, of course, you have to also throw in Zach uh, Branch on that on the offensive side, they're, they're really sensational players. And if anybody's going to move players around and force their way onto the field, it's going to be uh, Curtis and uh, Branch. And like I said, I think that uh, Cobb is the one who's going to uh, have a big impact on defensively. I'd say offensively, again, I think it's uh, Marshawn Lloyd. I think he's going to be the offensive transfer. I don't think I can nail nail it down to just one guy. Uh, because of the talent that's on both sides of the line of scrimmage, but you guys have added on this. What's your opinions? Well, he asked which. Right, the the question was which incoming transfers do you expect to be starters? I've I've got the list of twelve here. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, can, say, I can read them off. We're not limiting this to one player. <laughs> it's it's not a stretch, right? The punter coming over from Arizona State, I think I think is absolutely your punter, and maybe the the kickoff specialist too. There, there will probably be more transfers added, right, which could jump maybe ahead of the guys on this list right now. But Ethan White, Jared Kingston, and Michael Tarquin on the offensive line, I know that there are some guys that are going to compete and push and that kind of thing. Those are three big-time veteran guys, and I think potentially your left tackle, left guard, and, and right tackle next year Based on this, again, we, we don't know who's coming over in May or June or, or whenever. Again, not completely shocked if your defensive line is Anthony Lucas uh, and Keon Bars and then uh, Jack Sullivan from Purdue. We talked about Mason Cobb at linebacker, maybe pushing there in the middle. I know you've got Shane Lee and Eric Gentry back. Cobb is good. You need an answer at rush end. Lincoln Riley spoke very highly of Jamil Muhammad coming over from Georgia State. Again, not a shock if he ends up as the number one guy there. You talked about the running back, Marshawn Lloyd. Dorian Singer did not come over to be a fourth or fifth option. This is a guy that was outstanding in the Pac-12 last year. And then we talked about the Arizona cornerback, Christian Roland Wallace. I see him a lot like Makai Blackman coming over, playing for what has not been a good defense but really kind of standing out with his physical play and especially against USC. Like he, he 
took on Drake London. He's taken on some big time receivers and he hasn't backed down. That that's 12 transfer portal guys right now. And again, none of them I think are like crazy calls um, to, to be starters just because I think USC did so well positionally, right? They didn't go get a quarterback to, Hey, let's, let's see if he can start over Caleb Williams or things like that. Like they had needs at certain spots and I think handpicked guys um, that could come in and, and contribute right away. You know, you're getting me all fired up here. And it goes back to something that Mark said, and that is the media not being allowed to watch practices, whether it's been spring or the fall, because how fascinating would it be to watch these transfers come in and see the impact in the spring? Now, I know that it all gets down to the spring game, and I thought they did a great job in how they presented it, but uh, purely as a, uh, you know, a person that follows them strongly and closely, uh, this would be a great time to be able to watch these players uh, adjust and uh, see about the returning players. I'll tell you, like a guy like Shane Lee, is it possible he could get beat out? Probably not at the beginning, uh, but you never know what could happen. Uh, so come on, Lincoln, let us, let us watch a little bit. And remember uh, they brought in Jordan Addison and Eric Gentry after spring ball last year, right? They, they were like later on. So again, I talk about like those guys potentially being starters USC when that second transfer portal opens up, there could be any number of guys, uh, in there that, that could potentially be starters too. You're not talking about Marvin Harrison jr. Are you from Ohio state? I talked about Jordan Addison. <laughs> I mean, but, but right at this time, at this time, who's saying, oh yeah, Jordan Addison, he just won the Bolitnikov. He's definitely going to go in the transfer portal, right? Like the, the idea of trying to guess at what might happen or who might be there, how things can get involved, all of that stuff. It's yeah. I mean, at, at this point, you can't be surprised if, if a guy like that jumps in the portal and, and takes a look around. That's right. Ohio State's going to have a new offensive coordinator, right? Right. I think it's Hartline and new quarterback. And there's been a precedent set. Uh, you know, I remember Marvin Harrison Jr. is the son of Marvin Harrison Sr., who was a, a outstanding receiver in the NFL. So, you know, everything quote gets down to quote that business decision. Uh, and obviously people are, are looking at uh, Caleb Williams and going, boy, is he taking advantage of uh being in, in LA and all that goes with it. Uh, that's awfully attractive. I'll say that. All right, let's wrap it up on a final question here from Trojans uh, uh, 2021 in West Palm Beach, Florida. All right. Southeast uh, conference country from the returners on defense, which players in the DL LB and DB room do you see having the biggest improvement from last year? Go for it. I'm going to start with uh, Tyrone Tulaney on the de defensive line. He slowly kept developing and progressing and becoming just that steadying influence that they needed opposite of Thule. So I'm going to see him continue on that path. One, he's a mature guy. He's an older guy. So I think he's he has his priorities in line. He's a family guy already. A linebacker. I, I'm going to go with Rajon Davis. And this goes back to what we were talking about early in the show. I think, Eric, you mentioned it. Um, you know, the staff has to be able to recognize, all right, the guys that we've been using all year, 
Yeah, they made it. They made it, us made the 50-50 decision, as they, as Lincoln liked to characterize it. In the two-lane game, you, you say, you know what? Those guys haven't been getting it done. I need to play the players. So at linebacker, I'm going to say it's going to be Rajon Davis. I think he took that stigma off of himself where he's no longer a 50-50 decision for the coaching staff. And then um, and as far as the DB, uh, I, I'm just going to stick with, uh, with Damani. Everybody wants him. He wasn't 100% healthy at all last year. Hopefully he will be. And then you can have, like I said, you can have him on one side. You can have Christian Wool and Wallace possibly on the other side. It's a strong, strong quarterback team. Eric, your thoughts on this? Since we're touching all the bases here. Yeah, I like those. Uh, Devin Tompkins is my guy on the Ooh. defensive line. Um, he's a guy that, that Lincoln said, you know, we're really excited about him. And you could see, I mean, I, day one, seeing him on the field, knowing his backstory, right? Like not a ton of football, basketball, athleticism, kind of come back. The, the way his body looks as a true freshman, it immediately that kid's going to grow into something. And, and then throughout the year, you saw him kind of mature and progress. I, I think potentially big time things for him. May, maybe not this year, but down the road for sure. And, and I'd expect him to play at least a little bit um, this year. Linebacker, I, I think I think Eric Gentry. I mean, I know like he started all last year and played really well. I think a, a year in the system, a year of development. I mean, he's obviously a guy from the very beginning. We've talked about is kind of how much weight can he put on and carry and, and do all of that. I, I think what he did last year was impressive. I'd expect um, kind of a really fun, interesting, uh, hopefully dynamic. We talked about he can do a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, I'd love that. And, and I'm just not picking Rajon. I, I think we all root for Rajon, right? Like we've seen what he can do. We've seen flashes and, and certainly would like to, to see that play out. Um, Damani was my guy. I think he could be a, a big time corner and you need him to be the injury. I think situation was kind of the only thing holding him back. You heard coaches and players talk about like, Hey, when he's healthy, it's, it's something else, you know, to, to watch him play. Um, the guy I want to throw out, and this is cheating because he didn't play last year, but Zion Branch, I think, is a guy that maybe maybe people forget is on the roster, and you have him coming in to potentially play safety. And he's another versatile guy that you could walk down to the line of scrimmage and do a bunch of different stuff with. Um, we talked about, again, not having the depth, not having the young talent. Zion Branch would, would have been able to give you some snaps last year, special teams or on defense, something like that. So again, it's not an improvement because we didn't see him play, but um, in lieu of somebody else, I, I just, I, I always want to be able to throw out his name just to remind people, of, oh yeah, he's still here. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh, split my vote for defensive linemen. I know that's copping out, but I agree with uh, Mark on uh, Tyrone Tolini. I think he really improved. He plays with a lot of spirit. And I think that he's just scratching the surface of what he does. And where the question is, is the biggest improvement from last year? Uh, I But I could see uh, Devin Thompson, but I don't know how much he is uh, going to improve because I don't know where he is at the moment. I can only go by the word of uh, the coaching staff. I think linebacker, I'm I'm actually rooting for this guy. So maybe it's a little bit of uh, prejudice on my part, but Rajon Davis 
to me, I don't know what was going on because like we can't go to practice, which is like a bad cop out. But <laughs> what he exhibited against Tulane, he was excited to play. And sometimes guys just are okay practice players. But if you give them a chance in the game, they really are gamers. And maybe Rajon Davis is a gamer. But I think that the more he gets a chance to play, I'm not saying he's going to start, but he definitely, uh, I think, is going to be in the mix. And by doing that, he's going to have a big improvement because he's going to have more game experience. And as far as defensive backs go, uh, again, I have no, uh, I don't have a disagreement on on uh, Zion Branch, but I don't know where he is because I don't, I haven't seen him. Uh, so I don't know where to, to st where, where start A is to get to, to B. But biggest improvement has got to be Damani Jackson. It has to be uh, because he's the one who just tantalizingly doesn't get to play that much because he was injured all the time. So you got to think if this guy is healthy and he's able to get on the field, that he's going to show immediately big improvement each game. And I, I certainly hope that happens. So It'll be interesting to see how it goes. So, friends, a reminder, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to either the WeRSC message boards, click on the thread that uh, pertains to Inside the Trojan Subtle viewer or listening questions. If you even just have a comment, uh, we'll enter it into the record. So, okay, that will do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle. So until next Tuesday, a big thank you again to our panelists, Mark Culkin and Eric McKenney, and a big thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojans Huddle. Have a great week. Uh, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, saying fight on, everybody.